Greetings, Princeps, and welcome to the 21st episode of the God Machine Cast, a weekly podcast dedicated to discussing the Adeptus Titanicus War Game produced by Games Workshop. In this show, I'm going to talk about events. More importantly, the events I'm planning to run this summer, virus willing. This is a change from the original plan where I was going to talk about the true messengers, but things got away from me this week, and I ended up spending most of the time planning the event. So, I'm going to start a section I was planning a week early. Just a real quick editor's note at this point. So this week I've changed my recording studio again. I'm recording in my spare room now. And because of this, the sound quality is different. There's new noise that I'm trying to fight, and... Uh, Quite a bit of it I wasn't able to get out of this episode. I'm sitting on a different chair and its creaking appears in a couple of spots throughout the episode, as does the rustling of my papers virtually continually. I'm really sorry for this. Uh, I didn't realise how bad a problem it was until I re-listened through it in my final pass. Um, I'm going to make a change to see how I record things next week, but I really don't have time to go back and re-record the entire episode. So it's going to go out like this, warts and all. Next week I will try and get it better, and uh, after the break we will see about changing things up again to further improve sound quality. It's a fight, as I said in my opening episode, I'm not an audio engineer, and uh, at times it's a fight I lose. Anyway, let's get back to the show. Okay, podcast news. I'm going to keep it pretty simple this week. I'm still looking for people to like and rate my shows on a variety of podcasting apps around the internet. Doing this helps the visibility of my podcast and lets other people find my show easier. Other than that, I'm still looking at taking a break as I prepare for season two of the God Engine cast here in a few weeks. I think I'm going to do the Leisure Precious episode next week, and then I may try and squeeze in the Leisure Restorum but no guarantees there. Then I'm going to be down for a couple of weeks while I get enough time to finish doing all the work I need to do for events and start to build up a set of material that I can use in shows going forward. This is going to include interviews because I've been meaning to do this for a while and I'm going to finally get some sorted. So, if you play a particular Legio and you want to say your piece about them on the show, please contact me and we will try and get you in to talk about the Legio. Um, this show was always meant to be about the community. So let's start getting some of the voices on this show. Okay, time to discuss some community letters. The first letter isn't an email. It was an actual package that was sent to me via the mail. It was sent by listener Nick. And he sent me a set of scenery that he's recently been working on for a master's project at his university. As you may recall, Nick has previously sent me uh, questions to this very podcast where I talked about what sort of scenery I think should be included in the game. And he's taken some advice and advice from other locations and built a small range of laser cut wooden scenery. It's all pretty awesome. What he sent me was a series of silos and an airport set. Uh, the airport set's really good. I built it last night. It has some control towers, smaller towers, runways, hangars, and other paraphernalia that go around an airfield. 
all in all, it looks pretty awesome to fight a game of Titanicus with. It's all appropriate scale, and will provide a differing level of cover than the usual cityscapes I fight over. It'll be more open ground, but as I said before in some other episodes, I think that's a pretty good idea. Together with some natural features, it's going to make a really nice looking um, Titanicus table that isn't our usual city fight. The silos look pretty awesome, and they're probably going to be a separate um, scenery kit for myself, where I start working on an agri-world set of tables. Anyway, the photos are all online. You should go and check them out. His email address is in one of the photos if you feel like trying to get your, these kits yourself. I think he is planning on starting a company, so reach out to him and uh, see what he can do for you. They are pretty awesome. Okay, next up is an email I've been sitting on for far too long. Uh, Sam sent me an email wanting me to advertise about a painting competition he is running on the Something Awful forums. Um, it is a charity event where he is donating money to a food bank based on the number of miniatures people paint on this forum. Uh, it all looks pretty cool. He's had some support from some other websites and podcasts. Uh, I sadly won't be able to contribute anything to it. Finances aren't really great over here at the God Machine Cast at the moment, but we're doing what we can. But anyway, um, I've thrown the link to his charity event in the show notes. Uh, please check it out and uh, help support a good cause. So the final letter of the day is from listener Gary. Gary lives up in Indianapolis and is trying to build a vibrant Titanic scene up there. They already have a Facebook page and have a number of people painting models throughout the lockdown. But he wants to know what my advice would be for running demo games. He's got numerous ideas and shares with me in the letter, but I'm going to go over them sort of piecemeal as I talk through my ideas. First of all, he talks about the idea of just setting up in a friendly local gaming store with a set battle and letting people come along and play. I don't think this is a bad idea, provided you advertise you're going to do it. I think just picking a random day and seeing who walks by isn't really going to catch everyone's attention. Titanicus has a very unique market within the gaming community. Not every player of, Titan of 40k will switch to playing Titanicus. That's kind of a given. Um, it's, it's a very niche market. But the folks who want to play generally have an idea that they'd be interested. Uh, well beforehand, generally. I mean, I did. Um, but it wasn't until I actually saw people playing that I really wanted to play. So, yeah, getting down there at a set point or at a busy time, if there's like a major 40k day happening at the gaming store, being there and cornering a table to do Titanicus is probably a pretty cool move. When you're there, um, I recommend setting a simple mission Probably the one from the main rulebook for the game played without any optional rules. Don't worry about too much complexity. Um, add in a little. Um, while you may not want to track heat with the reactor dice, you probably want to do orders, because orders are pretty cool. Um, and just play a simple game with every person who's around, starting with multiple titans, and there's additional people join. They can take over existing titans. Um, and ideally, you'll just have a game of two Axiom maniples fighting each other, with each player controlling a titan. Which I think brings us to the next point. Um, you've talked about your collection and it seems very Warhound heavy, I mean, one side is Ordax. Um, I would look at trying to get something slightly larger on the side of the traitors. Uh, Warhounds are all cool and Ordax is a really fun Legio, but it's not a beginner's Legio, even if you're not running it with Legio rules. If you're just running a whole pile of Warhounds, fighting anything like a warlord is going to give a very weird view of what Titanicus is. Um, I definitely think what is in the current starter box is a really good setup for a map. 
mixed game. Uh, Warlords probably aren't the greatest unit to play at the start of the game, to give you an idea what Titanicus is about. It's a very odd unit. Um, I also wouldn't really worry too much about taking um, Knights a huge amount. Again, they're an odd unit and outside the standard play way Titanicus plays. All in all, that core starter box is a pretty good place to start. A few knights, not too many. A warhound and a reaver probably makes a pretty good game. And if I had a veteran player show up, someone who, you know, a bit longer in the tooth, play, played quite a few specialist games who wants to get into Titanicus, I'd probably start with the games at that level. At that point, I would introduce Legio rules. Um, Legio rules do add a lovely complexity to the game, and I definitely think it's uh, worth playing with when you can. Um, yeah. I would run all these games on a 4x4. I think the core rulebook mission, the Titanic Clash, is really good just for that first intro game. Um, you aren't worrying about too much about mission objectives, and it's just get out there and play. Again, I wouldn't worry about stratagems, uh, house traits in the for the more advanced players. But be open. Um, feel free to bring rules in halfway through a game. Play the first two rounds real simply, and then on third round, introduce the next bit of complexity, and the next bits of complexity as you go on. Um, the complexity is what makes Titanicus Titanicus, so be careful stripping all of it out, or the game may just seem a little bland. Um, you really have to read the crowd and understand who you're playing with. Uh, some people want to play it all from the word go and have that conversation. Um, yeah, just be willing to teach and be willing to fudge rules here and there to make sure you get a exciting and narrative game. Um, Titanicus is cinematic and yeah, you've got to really play that up to really excite players. At least that's my opinion. I don't know. Like I said at the start, I'm not great at demo games. I'm all about playing games with players who are already interested in the hobby. Um, getting that first taste isn't really my cup of tea. Okay, so on to community news, or actually the main section of the show. Uh, this week's show is going to be dedicated to starting my discussions on the Iron Halo GT which is a large 40k tournament held up in Bartlesville, Oklahoma. This year it is going to be home at the Washington County Fairgrounds, moving from its usual home of the On the Rock Ministries. The Iron Halo GT has been going since 2005, and it has grown every year since, slowly growing into Oklahoma's largest tournament. Well, I say slowly growing, it, like within its second year, was the largest tournament ever in Oklahoma. And in recent years, they've been expanding to hold other events. This year, they are going to be having an additional event of 30k, both Age of Darkness, which is the Horus Heresy game, and Titanicus. These games are going to be narratively linked, and I am going to be running the Titanicus side of things. I am really excited. I've been negotiating with them about exactly how I would do this for a few weeks, and everything is not quite tied down yet. But I spent the week working on the player pack, so that's what I'm going to talk about today, what my vision for this event is going to be at this stage. And then over the coming months, as we get closer to the event, um, I'm going to do a few more of these episodes, sort of on the road to the halo, hearing about the development of things on my end. And then I will talk about the halo at the halo, and then I will do a review show. So this is going to be a long-running series. Um, this is phase one. Okay, before we go any further, I just want to take a moment to talk about the virus. COVID-19 is growing like crazy in America still. 
In fact, in recent days, it has finally had a logarithmic growth curve in Oklahoma, and it is frankly scary. And I don't see the signs of this getting any better anytime soon. But this event I'm talking about today isn't anytime soon. It is still this year, but it's in the latter part of last this year. It starts on the 25th of September, so it is almost as far into the future as the outbreak in America really is into the past, which is important to think about. I do not know what the situation is going to look like back then. The predictions that were made about what we could be seeing now haven't come to pass due to social distancing and other measures, and I wouldn't like to say what's going to happen in a month or two months, let alone the three and a half months till the event. So at this point, I'm going to go ahead and presume the event is happening. Should things change, I will notify everyone quickly. And closer to the event, at about the point when refunds have to be declared, I am going to decide whether I can run the event. I'm going to give everyone plenty of notice that if I decide to cancel the event, people will still, still be able to get refunds if the Iron Halo carries on. I'm committed to making an independent decision that if I think it's not safe enough, I will not run my event. Full stop. If I decide it's not safe, I will help the Iron Halo find someone else to run the event who thinks the event is safe. I'm not sure if that's going to happen, but I'm not going to leave everyone hanging if they really want a Titanicus event, but I'm also going to be making an independent decision. I encourage everyone to think long and hard about whether they should go to events this year. I would love to see everyone at the event. I'd love for the event to be a Bigger than the 40k event. I mean, I don't in a way, that'd be an awful lot of work for myself, but it'd be awesome. Um, but realistically, I understand that everyone needs to look about their personal lives and whether they can afford to go and put themselves at risk. Some folk are going to be okay taking that risk, other folk aren't. And I'm not going to cast any judgment on anyone's decision in that regard. Uh, in fact, I will stand by and defend your decision. It's a weird year, and I understand. I will talk about this again in the future when I've got a better idea about how I'm going to handle social distancing at the event, once I've seen what the event's social distancing policy is going to be. But yeah, that's a debate for another time. And I just wanted to take that mo this moment now to express that I was thinking about uh, current events when planning this event. Um, yeah. Okay, so let's talk about more happier things. The rest of this show is going to focus on discussing the event pack and the basic outlines and the theories I've got going into running this event. This event is going to be ran alongside a Age of Darkness set of games. So there are still some details I haven't really tied down because I need to follow the lead of the Age of Darkness games. These sort of details are game length, uh, game timings, and um, how many games per day. The idea is that the games of Titanicus will start at the same time as the Age of Darkness games so we can share bonuses between the two systems, but more on that in a minute. For the remainder of the show, I'm roughly going to run over what I'm expecting players to bring and the ideas behind the different rule sets of this event with a bit of discussion. Um, I'm looking for feedback still. This is still, you know, version 0 0.1, um, and I've probably got a few more iterations to go before I'm like, this is the pack we're going to use. If you've got ideas, please send them in. Uh, definitely want to hear about what would excite you to play and what systems you want to play with. So the event itself is going to be a two-day event with a total of six games. As I said, the game is going to be run in conjunction with the Horus Heresy Age of Darkness. 
Results of the Horus Heresy games will affect the availability of stratagems during the Titanicus game. I.e. there is going to be a board on the Horus Heresy side that is a fight over a space station. The side that controls that space station will allow the Titanicus players to use the orbital barrage strike as an example. It may not exactly work out like that, but that's the theory I'm rolling around. Likewise, results of the Titanicus games are going to have a mechanical effect in the Horus Heresy games. I'm not 100% sure what that mechanical effect is going to look like yet. That's something I'm still working out with the Horus Heresy lead, but I'll have an idea soon enough. Um, yeah. Also, every table is going to be unique, and each table will have a varying level of terrain and specific missions put out for that particular table. For example, I'm planning a couple of boards that are going to be city-based, built on the dense city style of the Titanicus campaign rules, and then I'm going to have a couple of tables with less dense terrain, and one that's almost open, again following the rules that were found in the Adeptus Titanicus campaign rules. Uh, I'm going to make sure that all tables have a little bit of line of sight cover for a warlord, but the amount you're going to see is going to be very variable depending on which table you're fighting on. Um, every table is going to have its own unique special rules as well, which will make things interesting and change up the dynamics of the game consistently throughout the weekend for you. Before the event starts, I'm going to need players to do the following. I'm going to need players to bring a list of up to 2,500 points of titans. Every model on this list needs to be brought with them to the event and modeled in the way listed. Um, although I understand many players have magnetized titans, I would want one titan represented at every weapon loadout you've taken on your list. The list should be formatted in a space for notes of the events and a place to list the XP and any special rules these titans gain throughout the campaign. The minimum number of points you can take is 1,250. I said the maximum is 2,500, but you can bring a pretty small force if you want. Though I am strongly recommended players bring at least 1,750 points, which is the standard list you'd need for every game of Titanic as you're going to play. There are going to be painting requirements. I'm sort of still hashing them out. Um, I know the three-colour minimum is the old adage, but I really never liked that term. Uh, there are some colour schemes that aren't three colours. Um, so at the moment, my sort of painting requirement or painting minimums are that the Titan's body needs to be sprayed. Um, and the armour plates also need to be painted a separate colour and attached to the model. So that is actually a two colour minimum, a third with the base. Um, but I just want to make it clear that, you know, just spraying a Titan silver is not good enough. Spraying the Titan silver and putting red armour plates on and then basing the Titan... It will do. I mean, the Titan's not going to look great, but it's going to be okay for this event. The players will need to bring the command terminals and a copy of any rules they use during the event. Players will not need to bring stratagem or mission cards. I should have those at the game, and the stratagems available will be should be available within the rulebooks themselves. Um, Using the cards in an event like this just feels like we're going to start losing the cards. It's up to the player. They can bring cards if they want, but it's not going to be required that you have the card. You can use the rule book. So, how do the actual individual games work? Well, pairings will give you a random opponent on the opposite faction and assign you to a random table. At the table, you will receive a sealed mission packet. That mission packet will be given one to the attacker and one to the defender of the particular table. That mission packet will have 
individually written missions for that particular table outlining deployment and your objectives. The packet also will include what stratagems are available for that mission. Like there are only going to be a limited number of stratagems you can pick and one of those sources is going to be your mission orders. For example, it may let you know that the Mechanicum has allowed you to overcharge your plasma cannons and is providing air support and has an artillery strike and you can pick one of you can pick your points from those particular cards. There will be a fair number of options you can pick, but it's going to be thematic to the missions you are fighting. Additionally, a list of tertiary objectives will be available to, for you to spend command points on. Anyway, as I sort of mentioned, the mission packet itself will contain uh, your mission objectives. Now it will list two primary mission objectives and two secondary mission objectives. Now unlike a standard game of Titanicus, these primary and secondary mission objectives aren't tied together. You can pick any combination of them. Uh, you pick them secretly and hide them from your opponent, unless you happen to be the underdog, but I'll cover that here in a minute. In addition to that, the report is also going to include an intelligence report that will basically summarize what the enemy's missions are probably going to be. It's not going to lay it out really clearly, but you're going to have a pretty good idea what they're going to be trying to do. Um, obviously, they're going to have, have had some choices on what exactly they want to do. So you'll be able to react to that where necessary. Once the mission packet has been reviewed, uh, you then go and select the army list you want to play. So you've brought 2,000 points of the Titans to the event. You then pick 1,750 points of those Titans for the actual battle. Um, you also, at that point, note what mission objectives you are trying to achieve. So you get a lot of say over, you know, these are your missions, these are the Titans I'm going to take, and this is exactly what I'm going to do. And you've got a vague idea what the opponent's going to be trying to do to you, but not a great idea. Anyway, at that point, you announce to your opponent your total point cost you're going to use. Because you could always, you know, decide that you've got a couple of mission objectives. You reckon you could do a really small force. So you take the 1,250 point list, the minimum size, and you tell your opponent that. And the opponent's taken a 1,750 point list, and you're the underdog for that mission. At which point, the opponent has to hand over his mission packet to you, and you can read what he's got planning on doing, and what his mission objective is. You get all the information, which is a real nice added bonus for being the underdog. In addition, as usual, the underdog gains additional stratagem points per the usual system in Titanicus. And it's at that point you select the stratagems you're going to take from the ones on your mission objectives and the ones available to you through other sources. You know, perhaps your fraction owns the battle station at the moment, so you can take the orbital strikes. At this point you cannot look again at your opponent's orders. They will have marked on that order sheet what stratagems they are taking. Um, so that's it. You can't suddenly take their stratagem deck, uh, see what stratagems they're going to use, it's just not allowed at that point. Anyway, at which point you play a game of Titanicus with you trying to achieve those missions. At the end of the mission though, a number of things are calculated uh, for records both for the event and for you personally. First, all the units that you've deployed and participated in the game will gain experience. Now unlike the standard Titanicus campaign system, I'm not going to worry too much about what titans were destroyed and trying to salvage the battlefield and repair titans. We aren't going to worry about armory points. It's not a thing in this campaign. But we are going to track experience in a way very similar to the campaign system. And I'll touch on that in a minute. But additionally, you will also calculate your glory points you've earned. Glory points are individual points for the individual players. And then you'll also calculate honor points, which is the faction-wide victory point that is going to track whether the loyalists or traitors are ascendant. Yeah, and that's it. That's a full game. You do through that, then you go away, have a beer or two, eat some food, and come back and play the next round. 
after the first round, who is the attacker and defender will be determined by the results of the previous game. Um, I'm not going to give away the full formula I've got worked out to who's going to be the attacker or defender, as a lot of that is going to come down to the actual individual story. Um, but it will be a reflection of the individual battles from the previous game. Uh, for example, um, the attacker may attack the airport, capture the airport, and the following round the defender is actually the loser of the previous game as the forces try and strive to take that asset back. So it's not going to be as simple as winners are always inevitably the attackers on the next round. It's going to be a bit more dynamic and not all one fraction is always going to be attacking or defending across all the game tables. Okay, next up, let's talk about the campaign roster composition guide. This is the basic guide that's going to help you put together your list that you're going to bring to the event. You know, the 2,500 point maximum list, not the individual game list. You put this together before the start of the campaign, and you will actually send it to me before the event, just so I can look over to make sure I spot any mistakes. All Games Workshop publications for Titanicus can be used when putting together this list, with the exception of the custom Legio rules from the White Dwarf. If Defensive Riser is released before the event, I will review the custom Legio rules in it and decide whether I'm going to use them at this event. Additionally, I am allowing people to take the campaign equipment from the Shadow and Iron supplemental book. Uh, I think it's pretty cool and adds something to the game, um, so feel free to take those upgrades. Uh, the list itself is put together the same way as if you were building a battle group for a game i.e. you're going to need to put titans in mana pools and assign a senior primaris uh, assign princeps senioris to every mana pool. You can take titans from multiple legios and you can just take support titans within this list. Um, additionally, you're going to start with 15 points of XP that can be spread amongst the titans at the start of your list. That can all be put on one titan, well 10 of it can be put on one titan, or it can be spread unevenly however you feel like it. If a titan has enough XP to go up a rank, they start with the higher rank, which means you can start a titan with a titan skill, which we'll talk about in a minute. In addition, at this stage you're going to define one of the areas you have access to stratagems. There is a list of stratagems that you can take at this point. Uh, these stratagems represent the assets available to your battle group. Uh, there is a list of stratagems you can take from, and these stratagems will always be available to you. Um, these are titans such as Veteran Princeps and Great Crusade Titans and Profane Blessing. I'm still working on the list, so it's not inclusive at the moment. Um, but are going to be none of the game-changing standard must-takes. Um, but I just want to allow people to always be able to take some options, and these you'll be able to pick them at this stage. Um, I also want to state that I'm not going to allow people to take alternate weapon options or changing weapon upgrades as the game goes on. Um, in the, this campaign, you're going to be locked into the equipment you take on the campaign roster, which is why you probably want to bring multiple titans, and why I've allowed people to take up to 2,500 points worth of titans, to give them a little bit of space to take alternate setups. Um, I don't really want to punish players who haven't magnetized their titans, and I don't want to be encouraging people to play titans that don't actually represent what upgrades they have on the table. Um, I felt this is the fairest way to go at the start. As we move to future events, I may look at allowing people to swap weapons if the Titans model allows it, but not this year. So now let's talk about how the actual game roster works. 
all your units in your battle group deployed to that game have to come from your campaign roster. That's probably pretty apparent. But there are a couple of additional rules. First of all, if you take a Titan that's from a maniple, it has to be deployed with that maniple or by itself. You cannot take multiple Titans from multiple maniples and form ad hoc maniples on the way. You do not have to take the entirety of a maniple from your campaign roster. If you have, say, an Axiom maniple um, with the one wall lord, two warhounds, and two reavers, you can just take the minimum requirements from that Axiom maniple the warlord, the reaver, and the warhound. Or you could do the warlord, two reavers, and a warhound, or you know any other variants of. Providing you meet the minimum specifications, you can take those titans. In addition, you, if you take the maniple, you have to take the princeps senioris of that maniple, uh, and it has to be the princeps senioris of that maniple. Uh, you cannot just tag a new princeps senioris in halfway through the campaign. Um, if you take the princeps senioris titan by himself, he does not get the benefit from his. Princeps trait. I hope that all sort of makes sense. I mean, in hypothetical, say your campaign roster is a Myrtodon Maniple and an Axiom Maniple. Uh, you could take in a uh, your Myrtodon Maniple at half strength and then a half strength Axiom Maniple, or you could take the full Axiom Maniple and then a couple of the Warlords from the Myrtodon Maniple as uh, reinforcements Titans. Uh, there's a lot of variability with it, and I'm hoping people will be able to put together a pretty cool list. What I don't want folk doing is breaking down those mana pools and putting them into other forces. I feel that doesn't tell the appropriate story. Uh, Titans are assigned a mana pool and stay in that mana pool virtually for an entire campaign, if not longer. It is not something that narratively is changed at well, despite the fact we change it all the time in our army lists. Um, I just wanted to reinforce that, and I hope this system does that without making it too complicated. Personally, how I would build a campaign roster for this event is take a mana pool I want to run all weekend, and then take an array of supporting units that I could switch in and out where appropriate. Um, I feel that would give you the best and simplest way to put together a force that is going to work together. But hopefully I've given people a palette for some really fun narrative missions as well. I mean, I'm sure you could run several multiple small mana pools and switch the mana pools in and out where appropriate to best achieve your mission objectives. Okay, so let's just talk about, you know, what the objectives of the entire event are going to be. There are two sides, obviously, Loyalist and Traitor, and they are fighting each other. And I will declare the winner to be the side that has generated the most honor points. I will also name a princeps from those sides who have gained the most glory. The Obviously then, so the winner of the entire event, as much as there is going to be a winner, is going to be the individual from the side that has generated the most honor who personally has garnered the most glory. Um, that's sort of, you know, if you're going in with the objective to try and win, not that this is a game about winning, that's sort of the objective there. I will also name and acclaim the individual who has gained the most honor for their side as that will be tracked as well, but that's not the primary personal objective. So anyway, how do you gain honour? Well, honour is gained by all players at the end of the mission according to the following table. If you win the game, two honour points. The game was drawn, you're going to score one honour point. The game was lost, you are not going to score any honour at all. The underdog bonus also applies to honour. So for every additional group of command points you would generate, you're going to gain two additional honor. 
So if you rock in 400 points lower than your opponent, you're going to be scoring four honor points for just simply fighting the game. That said, if you can stop your opponent from scoring more than 10 victory points in an individual mission, you're also going to score more honor. So although you can generate a fair bit of honor by taking a really small force, if the opponent wins and stops you winning hard, they're going to basically score about as much honor as you are and probably a whole pile of personal glory. Um, so it's not an ideal strategy just to take really small forces just to earn a whole pile of honor points. So that brings us to glory points. Glory points is the individual accolades of your battle group. Um, this does not necessarily conform with achieving the mission objectives of your faction. Um, you can be a glory hound and be a terrible ally for the rest of your uh, companions and actually lose you the war. So be wary for just hounding yourself to score personal glory. It's probably not going to achieve much. If your side loses the war, your glory means nothing. Anyway, you earn glory in the following ways. If you score an engine kill against a titan scale 9 or more, so the warbringer or a warlord, you will score 3 glory points. If you score an engine kill against a titan scale 7 to 8, so a reaver, you're going to score 2 glory points. And if you score an engine kill against a titan scale 6 or less, you're going to score 1 victory point. You do not score glory for destroying knights. There is no glory in destroying knights. I'll repeat that several times because it's key in this balancing of the game. Knight households are not going to have a very fun time at the event, or at least a lot of the objectives are going to be biased against them. But they can earn a lot of glory and not give much glory up, uh, which I think's apt. Ride in with knights and you're going to be riding for glory and riding hard. Anyway. Uh, for each unit you lose, you're going to lose one glory point from your grand total. Um, though a lance of knights is only going to be considered a unit. So, again, knight households get a bit of a bonus there. Um, also, if you actually win the battle, you achieve two glory. That's it. You don't achieve any glory for losing the battle, and you don't achieve any glory for drawing the battle. You also don't get any additional glory for being the underdog. There's no glory in it. Um, it's not the nature of glory. The winning the game is all that matters. Now, something I need to point out at this point is that I mentioned there are two mission objectives in every pack. There is a primary objectives and the secondary objectives. Those secondary objectives are going to be defined as the honor objective and the glory objective. Um, basically, they are going to be a thing you can do to generate additional honor, and a thing you can do to generate additional glory. And you decide at the start of the battle whether you're going to try and achieve more glory or more honor. If you achieve that bonus, you will gain two additional points, whether glory or honor, um, as well as the victory points from that particular objective. Um, I think it's pretty cool, and it's just a nice way to add a bit more personal narrative into your mission objectives. For example, a good honor objective is going to be hold the line where you're going to show your resolve by not letting enemy titans within so many inches of your board edge whereas a glory objective is going to be going out to kill the enemy's lead titan yeah it's going to be narrative and pretty cool and uh, hopefully will allow players to sort of do a small amount of quasi role play in their mission selection Okay, so that brings us to talking about the unit experiences and advances. 
I touched on this earlier, and basically I'm going to be using the crew experience system from the optional campaign rules from Shadow 9. Um, the starting experience on all Titans is going to be zero rather than the D6 it talks about, but you will have the option of actually handing out some experience during the campaign roster construction phase. As I said, you have 15 points, no more 10 can go on, no more than 10 can go on one Titan, but um, you can play around with that a bit. Um, I'm going to use the standard table for crew advances. So basically for every 5 XP on a Titan, you go up a level. After 10 XP, you're going to get yourself a crew upgrade. Uh, 5 XP just gives you one reroll sometime in the battle. You will gain experience for fighting in a game. And I've come up with an altered crew experience table to slightly accelerate the amount of XP you're going to earn. You're only going to play six games, so I wanted to sort of increase the speed of uh, Titan's experience, just so people can get the full sense of growth of their crews. If a crew survives at the battle, they are going to gain 1d3 experience rather than the plus 1. I'm going to keep the standard experience earned from destroying enemy Titans, and I'm also going to introduce another experience point where you'll, which you'll get if your Titan was not destroyed. If your crew survived, you will get the d3. If the crew survived and their Titan wasn't destroyed, you're going to get d3 plus 1, which will be the reward for someone keeping their Titans alive at the end of the game. Now, if the Titan was destroyed, I am not going to use the Crew Survives rules from the uh, system in the Titanicus books. It's a little rugged and I don't like it. What I do really like is how the Bourneville guys worked out their um, Crew Survival system, so I have just nicely stolen it. Uh, thanks, guys. Basically, if you when your Titan is destroyed, you roll a d10. If that roll is equal or greater to the catastrophic damage result that destroyed your Titan, the Crew Survive, i.e., if your Titan dies in a wildfire, which is a 5 plus roll, you need to roll a 5 or more on a d10 for your crew to survive. That does mean that if your Titan goes off with the giant explosion, your crew are dead. I think it's fair and balanced. If a crew dies, you're going to get your Titan back next round and your experience is set to zero. End of story. Uh, I haven't decided what I'm going to do about if a Princeps Senioris's Titan dies, whether you just get a clone of that Princeps again. I may allow you to change the trait at that point. I'm thinking on that still. You've still got a couple of months to go. Now, if a Titan gets 10 XP or 20 XP, uh, they'll get the ability to pick a crew skill from the optional campaign rules from Shadow and Iron. But I have made some alterations. For a start, the expert marksman reduces the penalty for making a targeted attack by one. It doesn't just automatically allow you to make them. Um... Being able to automatically make targeted attacks is really good, and I still want you to sort of have to suffer a small penalty. Admitting that you could take it twice to have no penalty at all. Uh, additionally, Agile, which allows you to make two turns on a charge order, I've reduced that down to only allowing you to make one uh, turn. Uh, Vanguard Fighter and Bombardment Fighter in the current book allows you to automatically pass order checks. I didn't like that because I want there to be some risks with issuing orders, so both of those now give you plus three to the command checks for the relevant orders, which basically means you're going to always be passing on a roll of anything but a one, but I wanted always there to be that chance of failure. And finally, um, the Titanic Duelist, which allows you to take a minus one to hit from incoming melee attacks, has been defined that it only affects enemy titans attacking you in melee, and only from attacks that are in your front arc. You're not going to be able to duel out of the way of someone coming in your rear with a chain fist. It doesn't work that way. Um, 
So watch your facings. Okay, and now I just want to take a moment to talk about stratagems. I'm going to use stratagems in this event to further the narrative of the war. Because of this, not all the stratagems are going to be available for every game. Now, I've already mentioned that you're able to take four points of stratagems when constructing your roster. These stratagems are always available to represent the strategic resources of the battle group itself. You'll also be able to take any stratagems from your named legion if you're running a named Titan legion. Each mission packet is going to contain three to four stratagems to show the assets each faction is throwing into that particular fight you're going into. And there is going to be a number of stratagems reserved for the outcome of Age of Darkness battles. These are going to be things like the Artillery Strike, the Lance Barrage, some of the really good ones, to be honest. Um, so that will add a sort of added impetus to hope your side wins the necessary battles in the Age of Darkness games. Um, overall, I hope this will give a feel of an actual battle where, you know, not all the resources are available when you want it. Uh, you may really want an artillery strike in a particular game, but you're not necessarily going to have the chance to get it. Um, and hopefully we'll have people use stratagems they wouldn't normally use, which should be pretty fun. Okay, and that's the core rules of the event. The only thing left in my player's pack that I haven't covered are my rules FAQ. I'm going to run over them here, and nothing here should be much of a surprise, perhaps apart from the first point. I'm going to read this first point in full, because I think it's a statement that's really worth saying. Knight households, if used at this event, will be at a significant disadvantage. The missions in this event are being built with the assumption that it is a titan battle group fighting. I am not going to ban knight households but I advise that knight players bring some support titans to ensure they have ability to complete all missions. Yeah. Knight households have different mission objectives than the standard Titanicus mission objectives. I am not going to play the game of trying to make an extra four mission objectives on every mission deck just so I can help the one or two knight players I may have. If you bring knights, know that I am thinking that everyone is playing titans, and you're going to need to act around it. Playing knights is titanicus on a hard mode anyway, so I am upping the difficulty level. I'm not going to discourage anyone, and I'm pretty sure that several knight players are going to be able to achieve many of the objectives. They're just going to be one or two times you're going to look at the, the mission objective and go, how am I going to do this? Okay, this is going to be a challenge. And providing you have a support titan or two in your list, you're never going to be completely out of options. Um, I hope that there'll always be an option which doesn't need you to take a titan at all. But then you won't have an option, you'll just have to do that at mission objective. If you bring at least one titan, you will always have a choice about what mission you're going to do. Even if the mission is going to basically mean that you've got to protect that titan to allow that titan to do its job. Um, so that's going to be a thing. But yeah. In addition to that, I have made some quick rules of writers to go with stuff I've just covered while recording this show. I'm going to burn through them pretty quickly. I mean, they shouldn't be a surprise to anyone because I've already talked about most of these points when recording this show. First of all, blast weapons when fired with a maximal trait and the target is out of range still need to roll to hit so that rolls of one can generate heat. Second, the Titan Death uh, Legion trait for the Legion of Furians, Machine Rage, rolling the blunt face on the reactor dice does not cause the reactor track to be advanced by any amount. Secondly, the Dumamoltech Legion trait, Children of Mars, 
the knight bonded knight banners are any banner within the battle group and the shadow and eye and rupture band battle maniple when the reavers move in the combat phase to act as if it was the movement phase this does not allow for triggering of rules that will be activated in the movement phase for example the rupture maniple doesn't allow you to activate a second round of firing first or um any other events such as the Thijo Infector Creeping Madness. And at the moment, that's my FAQ. Uh, some lines items on my FAQ aren't needed because I'm just not going to include them. Uh, yes, yeah, scatterable mines, go looking for them. They're not going to show up. Uh, there are a few other stratagems that, you know, I would have FAQ'd that are just not going to be available. Um, yeah, it's going to be the nature of the game, I'm afraid. Um, it seems the simplest way to rule out items without making a lengthy FAQ. So that's it. That's my event pack. I hope it gives you an insight on what I'm trying to do. And uh, yeah, I really want feedback. Um, this is like version 1.0 and I probably going to revise it three or four times at least before we get to um, the event. Um, I hope I've excited some people about playing an event. Uh, feel free to use these rules yourself. Um, if people want access to these rules, please reach out and message me. Uh, I'm not putting the link up yet for everyone to just take my draft. It's still very much a draft and I'm trying to revise it. Uh, as soon as it's available for public consumption, I will spread the link around and people can copy it and use it for whatever events they want. Um, yeah. I think that's really all I've got to say today. Uh, they're just a huge amount of drawing conclusions. I've sort of been talking to you about my conclusions, my work for the week. I hope this episode was okay. Like I say, I did want to do something about the Legio Peregius this week, but I just couldn't quite find the time to do the research around everything I'd been doing for this event. Uh, this ate most of my podcast research time. In the next week, I should have time to focus in it again and get the remaining of my research done for Legio Peregrisus, the true messengers, and be able to talk about them for an hour or two. Um, yeah. So anyway, if you have questions or communications you wish to be included within the next episode, please email me at dot.engine.cast at gmail.com or reach out at me through Facebook or Twitter. Facebook, I'm EngineCast. I have a page there. And on Twitter, I am at CastEngine. Uh, next week's show, as I said, is going to cover a review of the True Messengers. And uh, after that, we're probably going to go on hiatus. Uh, so this will be the last episode of the series next week. So yeah. So until next time, until next week, I wish you all well and good fortune. And please stay safe. Stay safe.